So the saying of Shaykh al-Islam, وَالدَّلِيلُ مِنَ السُنَّةِ حَدِيثُ جِبْرِيلَ الْمَشْهُورُ عَنْ عُمَرَةِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالْ بَيْنَمَا نَحْمُ جُلُوسٌ إِنَّ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِذْ تَلَعَ عَلَيْنَا رَجُلٌ شَدِيدُ بَيَاضِ الثِّيَابِ شَدِيدُ سَوَادِ الشَّعَرِ He said, and the proof from the sunnah is the hadith and the proof from the sunnah is the famous hadith of Jibreel from Umar radiallahu anhu who said whilst we were sitting with Allah's messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam a man came to us whose clothing was very white and whose hair was very was very black whose clothing was very white and his hair was very black Shaykh Fawzan, Hafidhullah, he said in explanation, speech with regard to Islam and Iman and Ihsan has proceeded, and the pillars of each level. Remember the Islam, the five pillars, Iman, the six pillars, and Ihsan with one pillar. So speech about that has proceeded. He said, and the Shaykh Rahimahullah has mentioned the evidences for each level from the Qur'an. And all of that has proceeded and finished. The author Shaykh Islam has mentioned the evidences for each of the levels of all of that. Islam and Iman and Ihsan. The evidences from the Qur'an. Then the Shaykh Rahimahullah, he mentioned a proof for these levels from the Sunnah. The Sunnah of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So he mentioned the Hadith of Jibreel. And that he, meaning Jibreel, he came to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam whilst he was with his companions. He came to them in the form of a man. And he sat with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he asked him about Islam and Iman and Ihsan. Then he asked him about the last hour and he asked him about its signs. This is what is called Hadith of Jibreel. This is what is called the Hadith of Jibreel. Or it is called the Hadith of Umar. The Hadith of Umar. And this is a Hadith which occurs through a number of chains of narration from a group of the companions. So it is a hadith which is sahih, authentic. And the Shaykh, rahimahullah, mentioned the narration of Umar ibn al-Khattab. In a footnote they mention, this is reported by Muslim. Most the first hadith occurring in the book of Iman in Sahih Muslim. So it's reported by Muslim as hadith number 8 and refer to Jami al-Ulum and Hikam of Ibn Rajab. The second hadith, obviously Ibn Rajab's explanation of Anawi's 40 hadith. The second hadith there. Then Shaykh Fawzan said, so the author here, he mentioned the narration of Umar ibn al-Khattab of this hadith. And there is variation in the wordings of the hadith. In the other narrations. However, the meaning is one. And Shaykh Bazan's mentioned there are different reports, different reports of this hadith 
Each report will have a slightly different wording. However, the meaning, the overall meaning is one and the same. <coughs> then he goes through the wording of the hadith. He said, He said, بَيْنَمَا نَحْمُ جُرُوسٌ عِنْدَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ He said, whilst we were sitting with the Prophet Sheikh Fawzan said, it was from their usual practice, radiallahu anhum, may Allah be pleased with them, that they would gather together in the presence of the Prophet in the mosque, and that they would take knowledge from him, and that they would listen to his sallallahu alayhi wa answers when he responded to questions. So whilst they were like that in their, in their normal condition, a man entered upon them through the door. A man having very white clothing and very black hair. Shafuza said, meaning Jibreel. He came in the form of this man And he did not come to them In his angelic form He didn't come to them in his, in his form of an angel Because they would not have been able to look upon him In his form of an angel So to continue The explanation continues on page 231 of the Lebanese, Lebanese edition Page 179 of the Egyptian print, the same of the author, Shaykh al-Islam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, quoting the continuation of the hadith. So having, having mentioned the part of the hadith where the man who came, the man came to them, whilst they were sitting with Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa a man came to them, with the very white clothing and very black hair, then the narration continues and the text here continues, لا يرى عليه أثر السفر ولا يعرفه منا أحد حتى جلس إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فأسند ركبتيه إلى ركبتيه ووضع كفيه على فخذيه وقال يا محمد أخبرني عن الإسلام He said No signs of having traveled could be seen upon him and none of us knew him until he sat with the Prophet and he placed his knees against his knees and he placed his hands upon his thighs and he said O Muhammad tell me about Islam tell me about Islam Shaykh Al-Fazan said explaining this لا يرى عليه أثر السفر ولا يعرفه منا أي من الحاضرين أحد that no sign of his having traveled could be seen upon him and yet none of us recognized him the Sheikh said meaning from those people who were present no one recognized him Sheikh Fawzan said so this was something amazing that he had, not he had not arrived from a journey so that it could be said he is from other than the people of Al-Madinah and yet they didn't recognize him 
and he was not from the people of the city so that they could recognize him so therefore they were confused about him he was not someone who had come from a journey nor was he someone from the people of the town if he had arrived from a journey then the signs of his having traveled would have appeared upon him upon his clothing and in his color because the effects of traveling appear upon a, upon a traveler so no one from those who were present recognized him so therefore he was not from the people of the city and yet he had not arrived from a journey so therefore what could this man be that is what they found strange in fact he wasn't he didn't seem to be a traveler but he wasn't from the people of the town so what what else is there Shafazan said فَجَلَسَ إِلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ so he sat with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Shaykh said in front of him in, with the sitting of a student with his teacher in the manner of a student sitting with a teacher وَأَسْنَدَ رُكْبَتَيْهِ إِلَى رُكْبَتَيْهِ النَّبِيِّ sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he placed his two knees against the two knees of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Shaykh Fazan said meaning he was very close to him and that's how close he was that his knees were with his knees and he placed his two hands upon his thighs Shaykh Fazan said the thighs of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam meaning one who had arrived placed his hands upon the thighs of the Prophet there's a very quick a small side point here then Shaykh Muhammad Aman al-Jami he mentions that many of the explainers because the hadith and the wording in the Sahih he mentions he placed his hands upon his thighs so it could, it could have been either obviously the one who came he placed his hands upon his thighs. Who, who is referred to by his thighs? Was it? It could mean his own thighs, or it could mean he placed his hands upon the thighs of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Both are covered by the wording. It could be either. So Shaykh Muhammad rahimahullah, he said that many of the explainers say it means he placed his hands upon his own thighs. He placed his hands upon his own thighs, not upon the thighs of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. However, just as we saw, Shaykh Al Fawzan said, what is correct is that he placed his hands upon the thighs of the Prophet and that's what Shaykh Muhammad Aman said is, is likewise that is what is correct even though many explainers say the other that is what is correct and he gave an evidence for that he mentioned the hadith reported by Al-Nasai that clearly states that until he came and he placed his hands upon the two knees of, the, of Allah's Messenger this hadith in Al-Nasa'i was declared Sahih by Shaykh Al-Awdani. So that's what's authentic. He placed his hands upon the knees of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Then Shaykh Fazan said, فَقَالِ يَا مُحَمَّدِ So he said, O oh Muhammad. He addressed him by his name. And he did not say, O oh Messenger of Allah. And perhaps he did that 
alayhi salam, obviously Jibreel alayhi salam, why didn't he address the Prophet sallallahu alayhi salam as the Messenger of Allah, why did he st- uh, call him by name? Shaykh said, perhaps he did that, alayhi salam, in order that the companions sh- should think that he was a person from the Badia, he was a person from the desert, in a, bed- a Bedouin. Because it is from the custom, it's from the habit of the people of the desert, that when they used to address the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa they would do so by his name. Because the people of the desert, they have their own nature and their own customs. And also it was an addition in rendering it something strange and obscure so that they would not recognize him. He said, O Muhammad, inform me about Al-Islam. Shaykh Fazan said, meaning, explain to me the meaning of Al-Islam. Then comes the continuation of the hadith, the main text. And there's an extra an crept into the text here. And it should be on one an, of course, in this print at least. أن تشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وأن محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وتقيم الصلاة وتؤتي الزكاة وتصوم رمضان وتحج البيت إن استطعت إليه سبيلا فقال صدقت فعجبنا له يسأله ويصدقه He said it is answering the question what is Islam he said, it is that you testify that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa and that you establish the prayer and that you give the zakat and that you fast Ramadan and that you perform hajj pilgrimage to the house if you are able to make your way to it. So he said, you have spoken the truth. So we were amazed at him, asking him a question, and then stating that he had spoken the truth. Shaykh Fawzan said in explanation, قال الإسلام أن تشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وأن محمد رسول الله وتقيم الصلاة وتؤتي الزكاة وتصوم رمضان وتحج البيت إن استطعت إليه سبيلا he said, Islam is that you bear witness that none has a right to be worshipped except Allah and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. And that you establish the prayer and that you give the zakat and that you fast Ramadan and that you perform hajj to the house as you mean to the Kaaba in Mecca if you are able to make your way to it. Shaykh Fazan said, the Prophet wasallam mentioned to him the arkan, the pillars of Al-Islam, which are essential, and which are such that if they are implemented, then Islam is brought about. And whatever is extra to them from the other matters, then they are matters of completion. See, Sheikh Fazan said earlier in the explanation, Islam, they're not just five duties in Islam and nothing else at all. There are many, many duties, uh, obligations and recommendations besides these five. 
But to Sheikh Fawzan said, he mentioned the five pillars. That's what he mentioned. And the rest of the affairs are completion, perfection of that. He said, so the Messenger وسلم, limited himself to an explanation of the pillars of Islam. Since the, sh- since the shorter an answer is, then the easier it will be for the student and for the listener. And it will be easy for him to memorize it and preserve it. The shorter it is, shorter what he said, the easier it is to memorize and preserve. Whereas if the answer is prolonged, then it becomes difficult and confusing for those who are present. And perhaps most of them will not comprehend it. So therefore this is a proof that a person who is questioned, it is befitting that he should strive for abridgment, he should strive to make his answer short, as far as he is able to. And he should limit himself to that which is necessary. Otherwise the fact is that Islam is more than that. It is more than just the five pillars. It's more Islam than just the five pillars. Shaykh said, these are its pillars and its supports which it stands upon. In the rest of Islam, all the other duties and recommendations and like of Islam, they rest upon these five pillars. Al Sadat, he said, he said, you have spoken the truth. And Jibreel answered in response, you have spoken the truth. Shaykh Fazan said, this was a second amazing thing. He said, so we were amazed at him, asking him a question and then saying that he had spoken the truth. Shaykh Fazan said. So it showed that he was a person of knowledge and the fact that he had heard the answer and said it's the, tr- it's the truth, he's spoken the truth. It showed that he was a person of knowledge and that he was not asking in the manner of a person who is ignorant. Rather he was asking and he knew, he had knowledge. As is shown by the fact that he, that he said, Sadaqta. When he heard the answer he said, you have spoken the truth. So that proves that he was an Arun, he was a person of knowledge. So therefore then, so therefore why did he ask the question? That's a question that arises. If he knew the answer, why did he ask the question then? Then the continuation of the hadith and the continuation of the main text. قال فأخبرني عن الإيمان قال أن تؤمن بالله وملائكته وكتبه ورسله واليوم الآخر وتؤمن بالقدر بالقدر خيره وشره قال صدقت He said then inform me about الإيمان So he said it is that you truly believe in Allah, you have Iman in Allah, and in His angels, and in His books, and in His messengers, and in the last day, and that you truly believe you have Iman in the pre-decree, the good of it and the bad of it. He said, you have spoken the truth. Shaykh Fawzan said in explanation, he said, inform me about Iman. 
He said, it is that you have Iman, you truly believe in Allah, and in his angels, and in his books, and in his messengers, and in the last day, and that you have Iman, you truly believe in pre, in pre-decree, the good of it and the bad of it. So he, sallallahu alayhi wa mentioned to him the six pillars of Iman. After he had mentioned to him the pillars of Islam. Then Shaykh al-Fawzan makes an important point here, something that's come before, but it needs obviously stressing again. He said, and Islam and Iman, when they are mentioned together, and whenever they occur together in a text, in the ayah of the Qur'an, both are mentioned, Iman and Islam, or in a hadith, Islam, Islam is mentioned and Iman, they're mentioned together in that text. He said, and Islam and Iman, when they are mentioned together, then Islam means the outward actions. And Iman means the inward actions, the actions of the heart. So that's the principle when you find the two mentioned together in the text. Islam refers to the outward actions of the limbs, the five pillars, outward actions. Whereas Iman refers to the inward actions, the actions of the heart. And what occurs in it, in the heart, with regard to at-tasdiq, belief and affirmation, and al-ilm, knowledge. And both Islam and Iman are essential, together. Islam being the outward actions, and Iman being the inward actions. Because of his saying, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Al-Islamu Alaniyatun, Wal-Imanu Fil Qalb. That Islam is apparent, and Iman is in the heart. In a footnote, they mention this hadith is reported by Imam Ahmad as a hadith of Anas, radiallahu anhu. As for some of the verifiers, and some of the verifiers they mention that there is weakness in this report, and uh, from the verifiers of this age, Shaykh al-Albani, rahimahullah, he mentioned in his Da'if al-Jami' that this hadith is, particular hadith is Da'if, weak. And he said in his notes to uh, the explanation about Tahawiyya, he said his chain of narration is Da'if, weak. It contains Ali ibn Mas'ada, about whom al-Uqayri said in al-Du'afa, al-Bukhari said, fihi nadhar is suspect, person is suspect. And Abdul Haq al-Azdi said in his book Al-Ahkam al-Kubra about this hadith, hadith in ghayr mahfuz, a hadith which is not correctly preserved. Wallahu a'lam. Then Shaykh al-Fawzan, Allah, he continued, so if the two of them are mentioned together, each one of them has a separate and specific meaning. They are mentioned together, each of them has a separate and specific meaning. And if only one of them is mentioned, then the other one enters within it. And if we find a text where just Islam is mentioned, or we find another text where just Iman is mentioned, then the text, first text, Islam is mentioned, it doesn't just mean just the actions without any belief, rather it means both. The actions and the beliefs. If we find another text where just Iman is mentioned on its own, just as Iman, or it mentions a believer, a mu'min. It doesn't mean one who just has the beliefs, it mentions, 
meaning means a person both of them together, the beliefs and the actions. If they occur, mentioned on their own. They carry both of the meanings. So the Sheikh said, just repeat what he said there. So if they are mentioned together, each of them has a specific the specific meaning particular to it. And if one of them is mentioned on its own, then the other enters within it. If Iman is mentioned on its own, then Islam enters within it. And if Islam is mentioned on its own, then Iman enters into it. Because Islam will not be correct without Iman. And Iman will not be correct without Islam. They are both essential. And if someone would come and say, well, I'll do the outward action of Islam, but I won't believe in, in the colors of the Iman. I will not, uh, not be correct. Or someone comes and says, I'll believe in my heart, but I, will, I refuse to do the pillars. That will not be correct. She has said, so both are essential. So they are inseparably linked. And therefore they say, of course, what the people of knowledge mention, that Islam and Iman are from those titles which when they come together they separate and when they occur singly they come together meaning each of them enters into the other one because they are inseparably linked and one cannot be separated from the other then the sheikh said so he asked him about the outward actions and about the inward actions. The first question was about Islam, the outward actions. The second question was about the inward actions, about Iman. And he, sallallahu alayhi wa explained to him the pillars of both Islam and Iman. Then comes the next part of the text, the continuation of the hadith. <laughs> قال فأخبرني عن الساعة قال ما المسؤول عنها بأعلم من السائل He said Tell me about الإحسان He said That you worship Allah as if you were seeing Him And even though you do not see Him Then He certainly sees you he said, then inform me about the last hour. He said, the one who's being asked about it does not know any better than the one who's asking. Shaykh Fawzan said in explanation, he said, then inform me about Al-Ihsan. So he said, it is that you worship Allah to the end. Shaykh Fawzan said, it is already preceded that the Muhsin, the person of Ihsan, is the person who worships Allah as if you are actually seeing Him and upon certainty as if you are seeing Allah or that he worships Him upon the basis of His being observed and he knows that Allah sees Him and therefore he perfects the action he does ihsan, he has ihsan of the action he perfects the deed because Allah is observing him. So the muhsin, the person of ihsan, worships Allah either seeing him with his heart, and that is more complete, 
with his heart that is not complete or upon the basis that he has been watched first one being a mushahida seeing, seeing Allah with his heart and that is more complete or at least the second level on the basis of al-muraqabah on the basis that he has been watched and that he knows that Allah is seeing him in whatever place and with whatever action he is doing this is al-ahsan qala sadaqt fa'akhbirni al-sa'ah he said you have spoken the truth so inform me about the hour Shaykh Razan said meaning about the establishment of the hour when will it be and since this question the answer the answer of it is not known to anyone except to Allah the perfect and most high because the establishment of the hour is not known its appointed time is not known except to Allah the mighty and majestic the shaykh said we know that the hour will be established we have no doubt about that whoever doubts about that then he is a kafir he is a disbeliever it's not certain the hour is going to happen maybe, might not, I don't know he is a kafir a Muslim is certain the hour is going to be established and the shaykh said we know that the hour will be established and it will certainly occur however the time at which Allah will establish Allah the mighty majestic will establish the hour he has not informed us about it and he has not explained it he has not explained it to us and he has kept it secret within his knowledge he the most high said inna allaha indahu ilmu sa'ah so Luqman at the 31st surah and the 34 with the explanation Allah with him is the knowledge of the hour he said and he the most high said يسألونك عن الساعة أيان مرساها قل إنما علمها عند ربي لا يجليها لوقتها إلا هم سورة الأعراف السبت سورة آية 187 with the explanation they ask you about the hour when will it come about say its knowledge is with my Lord alone none can reveal its time but he Shaykh Razan said he is the one who knows it he the perfect and he the most high said وَعِنْدَهُ مَفَاتِحُ الْغَيْبِ لَا يَعْلَمُهَا إِلَّهُ Surah Al-An'am the 6th Surah and the 59 with the explanation and with him with Allah the most high are the keys to the hidden and unseen Shaykh Razan said and from it from the hidden and unseen is the time of the establishment of the hour then Shaykh Razan finished by saying he sallallahu alayhi wa said to Jibreel the one who is being asked about it does not know any better than the one who is asking meaning I and you are the same we do not know when the hour will be established Allah the majestic and most high 
did not make anyone aware of that. Neither the angels, nor the messengers, nor anyone. Rather he kept it secret. In his knowledge, he the perfect and most high. His text, قال فأخبرني عن أمراتها قال أن تلد ربتها He said, then inform me about its signs. He said, that the slave girl will give birth to her mistress. He said, then inform me about its signs. He said, that the slave girl will give birth to her mistress. In the explanation, Sheikh Salah al-Fawzan said, He said, inform me about its signs, Amaratiha. Shaykh Razan said this word, Al-Amarat, is the plural of Amaratun, and it means Al-Alama, it means a sign. And as for the word Al-Imara, meaning with a, with a fatha on it, Amaratun, then it means a sign, and its plural is Amarat. But as for the same word that with a kasra on the beginning, on the hamza at the beginning, <coughs> al-imara, then that means al-wilaya, totally different meaning. It means a position of authority or leadership. So amaratun means a sign, and imaratun means a position of authority or leadership. So it just makes a distinction so we don't confuse the two words. And he said, akhbirni an amaratiha. Inform me about its signs, Sheikh Fawzan said, meaning the signs which indicate the closeness of its establishment. Yes, Asa'a, the hour, has signs. And Allah, the Perfect and Most High, has explained them, making them clear. From them, the Amarat Sarira, the signs which are lesser, smaller ones. And from them are major signs. And from them are the intermediate signs in between. And from them are signs which are very close to the hour that will occur at the time of the establishment of the hour. They will be close to its establishment. And as for the other signs, then they precede it. They come before that. And some signs will be right there just before the hour actually occurs. And then there are other signs which occur, which occur before that time. The Sheikh said, the scholars, the ulama say, the signs for the hour are of three types. Lesser signs, smaller signs, which precede it, which come before it, quite some time before it. And intermediate signs in between. And and major signs. Then Shaykh Fazan said, as for the lesser, 
and intermediate signs, then they have all they have all already occurred, or most of them have occurred. As for the major signs, and he gives a list of or he mentions four major signs, which occurred just before the hour actually occurs. So as for the major signs, the Hurud the, the Dajjal, the appearance of the Dajjal, the emergence of the Dajjal, and the descent of Isa alayhi salam, and the Khuruj al and the emergence of the beast, and the Khuruj, the emergence of, ja, of Ya'juj and Ma'juj. Then these will occur at the establishment of the hour, the actual establishment. And they will quickly follow on in succession. In the major signs, when one occurs, the rest of them will follow on very quickly. And then soon after, the actual hour will be, the last hour will happen. He said, continuing with the explanation of the hadith, Qala akhbirni an amaratiha. He said, tell me about its signs. Sheikh said, and since its signs are known, the Messenger وسلم, answered him and said, Antalid al Amatum that the slave girl will give birth to her mistress. This is from the signs of the hour. And Al Amma means Al Mamluka, a slave girl, a slave girl who is owned. And Rabbatuha means Sayyidatuha, her female owner, her mistress, her female owner. She's a slave girl, a girl who's owned a slave, female slave who's owned, giving birth to Rabbatuha, her mistress, meaning her owner, her female owner. So the Shaykh is making the point here in the last part that we had, when, when the Prophet was asked, when is the hour? He did not know, so he didn't answer. He said, the one who's being asked does not know any better than the one who's asking. But this part, when he was asked, tell me about its signs, he did answer this. So she said, this was simply known, so therefore the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa responded to this question, gave an answer, that the slave girl will give birth to her mistress. Then the continuation of the text, continuation of the hadith, وَأَن تَرَى الْخَفَاتَ الْأُرَاتَ الْعَالَةَ رِيَاءَ الشَّاءِ يَتَطَاوَلُونَ and that you will see the barefoot, unclothed, destitute shepherds vying with each other in building tall buildings. Sheikh Fawzan said in explanation. The explainers said its meaning is and he explains here, first, first of all he explains the bit that just preceded, the part about the slave girl giving birth to her mistress. Shaykh Fazan said, the explainers said, its meaning, and Allah knows best, is that towards the end of time, there will be many captives or slaves taken. Meaning, there will be many occurrences of intercourse with slave girls meaning the owned slave girls and then they will give birth to daughters 
and the woman, the slave girl's daughter, the woman who's slave girl, her daughter, will be a free woman. And she will be a mistress to her mother. And an owner of her. That's the first explanation Sheikh Bozan mentions from the scholars for the part of the hadith, that from the signs of the hour is that the slave girl will give birth to her mistress. Sheikh Bozan saying the first explanation is at the end of time there will be many captives taken by Islam and that a man, a Muslim man, will take a slave girl then he'll have a, a daughter from her. Of course the daughter, because he's a free man, his daughter will be free as the explanation mentioned. He's a, he's a man who's taken a slave girl. Who's, she's owned by him. The daughter that comes from that will be a free woman. So she will be a free woman where her mother, whereas her mother is a slave. So she will be an actual mistress to her mother. Then Sheikh Razan mentions a second explanation of the scholars to this phrase. He said, and it is also said, its meaning is that disobedience to parents will be abundant. So that the daughter will act as if she is a mistress to her mother. And she'll act like that. She'll treat her mother like a slave. Just on that point, as an extra point here, then Sheikh Muhammad Imam al-Jami, he mentioned in his explanation that the scholars have seven, actually have seven different sayings. Sheikh Fawzah mentioned the two most well-known sayings of the scholars here. Sheikh Muhammad Imam al-Jami mentions the, the scholars actually have seven different sayings about the meaning of this phrase. And he said, however, Al-Hafid ibn Hajar in Fatwudari, he abridges these seven into four sayings. And from those four, he gives prominence, of course, to these two. And he said, Al-Hafid ibn Hajar, he preferred the view that the meaning is disobedience to parents, that the daughters will disobey their, their, their mothers. Disobedience will appear. And the reason that he gave that is because he said, Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa wanted to explain something strange that was unknown to the people in the early times, something strange that will occur at the end of time. Something that's strange, so that when it happens, they can see it as a sign. Something not known normally to them. So he said, as for taking many slave girls and having daughters from them, then this was known even in the early part of Islam. So therefore, it's, it's preferable in the view of Al-Hafid al Hajj, but that is not the meaning here. Rather that the meaning is something strange, that the daughters disobeying their mothers, being disobedient towards them. This was not known in the early times, but it's something that will occur towards the end of time, and thus be a sign for the end of time. Back to the explanation of Sheikh Saleh al-Fawzan, he said with regard to the phrase, and that you will see the barefoot, unclothed, destitute shepherds vying with each other to build tall buildings, he said. And that you will see the barefoot people. He said this is a second sign. And the word al-hafat, he said it means those who have no shoes because of poverty and destitution, being extremely poor and needy. And the word al-urat, the naked ones, the unclothed ones, he said, those who have, who do not have, those who do not have clothing. And al-ar, the word al-ala, it means al-fuqara, the poor and needy people. And the phrase, riya'a 
the shepherds of sheep, he said, which is the plural of ra'in, the plural of a uh, shepherd. <laughs> those who look after the sheep, those who shepherd the sheep. In origin, those people are found in the desert areas, in their own dwellings, and they move about from one place to another. But at the end of time, they will take up residence in the cities. And they will build tall palaces and towering buildings. This is from the signs of the hour. When the desert changes and becomes modern cities. The desert people, they change and they become modern. And they start to vie with each other in building tall buildings and they compete with each other in adorning them and this was not from their customary way they will change to being rich people having wealth and people who manifest it people who manifest what they have this is from the signs of the hour and as you know, the Messenger وسلم, did not speak from his own desires. So just as you know, today, you know how the condition of the people is. People's conditions have changed, and the poor people have turned into rich people, into people having vast riches. And the desert has become modernized. The desert people have become modernized. And they have built, or they have competed in building buildings, tall buildings. And this is in confirmation of the truth of what Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said. Then comes the continuation and the end of the hadith. Um, he said, then he went away. And we remained for some time. So then he said, O Omar, do you know who the questioner was? I said, Allah and his messenger know best. He said, this was Jibreel. He came to you to teach you the matter of your religion. He came to you to teach you the affair of your religion. Shaykh Fawzan said in explanation, he said, then he went off. And we remained for some time. Shaykh Fazan said, meaning, for a short time. So the Prophet then said, O Umar, do you know who the questioner was? 
The Sheikh said, Do you know, you people, do you know who the questioner was? And the one narration that the Prophet said, Aliya bi In one narration of the hadith, the Prophet said, Bring the man to me. And when, when he'd gone off, then the Prophet said, Bring the man to me. So they looked for him and they could not find him. In the footnote, they mention this additional wording here, bring the man to me, and that they looked and couldn't find him. This is reported by An-Nasai in his Sunan al-Kubra. Yes, An-Nasai has two books called As-Sunan. There's the noble one, the one's usually the, the one, the Sunan from the four Sunan. That's the Al-Mujtaba, the smaller Sunan, and he has a major and larger book, As-Sunan al-Kubra. This is in the larger one, As-Sunan al-Kubra. As a hadith of Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, and also reported by Ibn Haddan and Adarakutani, as a hadith of Umar Ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu. As a side point, Shaykh Al-Albani he said in his checking of Ibn Haddan about this additional, this longer wording of this edition, it is Sahih, authentic. And the same hadith, the long hadith of Jibreel, but with this additional wording, bring the man to me, and they looked and couldn't find him. Then Shaykh Fawzan said, قَالْ هَذَا جِبْرِيلْ أَتَاكُمْ أَمْنُكُمْ أَمْرَدِينِكُمْ He said, this was Jibreel, he came to teach you your religion. Shaykh Fawzan said, the one who entered and asked these questions was Jibreel, alayhi salam. And he came in the form of a man, just as was described, in order to teach those who are present the affairs of their religion in the manner of question and answer. He teach them by asking question and receiving an answer. Then Shaykh Razani summarizes this whole hadith in this section by saying, or this hadith, or the part of the hadith, he said, this hadith shows a number of tremendous matters, proves a number of tremendous matters. And then Shaykh Razan, he mentions five matters that are indicated by this hadith. Firstly, that the deen, the religion, is divided into three levels, Islam and Iman and Ihsan, each level being higher than the one before it. And that each level has pillars, arkan. The pillars, the arkan, the pillars of Islam. And the pillars of Iman. And Ihsan is a single pillar. The second matter, the second tremendous matter indicated by this hadith, the Shaykh said, it shows teaching by way of questions and answers. This is a teaching method which succeeds. Because it is better for arousing attention and conveying knowledge if the person is questioned <coughs> and his mind is therefore made ready and he seeks the answer. He's asked a question and his mind starts thinking, getting ready for the answer to come. So he seeks the response, he seeks the answer. 
gives the answer to him. And he is desiring it. This will establish it more firmly. Instead of just telling, in other words, the saying, instead of just telling the student in the first place, such and such, giving a piece of information, raising a question in his mind. What do you think? What is the answer to the situation? What is that? So then in his mind, he wants the answer. What is the answer to that? So he's waiting. And then you give him the answer. Then you accept it better. And it'll be more firmly established. And the Shaykh said, the third matter. In the hadith, there is a proof that whoever is asked about some knowledge and he does not know, then it is upon him to say, Allahu wa Rasuluhu a'lam. Allah and his messenger know best. He should refer knowledge back to the one who knows it. So he should not speak with an answer when he does not know it. And he should not make a guess. This is not permissible. The Messenger وسلم, when he was asked about the hour, he said, the one who's been being asked about it knows no better than the one who's asking. And when he said to his said to the companions, Do you know who the questioner was? And they did not know him. They said, Allahu wa Rasuluhu A'am. Allah and his messenger know best. Shaykh said, So that shows that with regard to matters relating to the Shara, the Islamic legislation, and matters of the religion, it is not permissible to speak about them based upon Tahrus based upon conjecture, thinking and, get, and guessing. Not permissible to speak about them based upon conjecture. Because this will be a case of tekalluf. This will be a case of unnecessarily overburdening oneself. However, whoever, or rather, whoever has knowledge, then he should respond. And whoever does not have knowledge, everyone and he should say, Allahu A'lam, Allah knows best. And whoever says, La Adari, I do not know, then he has given a response. There's no, no shame when a person asked a question about the deen, you don't have an answer, and reply, I don't know. You have responded, you responded truthfully with the correct answer, I do not know. There's an example from the Salaf for this, he said, Imam Malik, rahmahullah, he was asked a question. He was asked about 40 questions. And he gave an answer to six of them. And with regard to the rest, he said, La Adri, I do not know. So the questioner said to him, I have come from such and such place, and I have traveled, and I have tired out my riding animal. And then you say, I do not know. So he said, ride your animal. And go back to the land which you came from. And say, I asked Malik. And he said, La Adri, I do not know. Shaykh Rozan said, this is not a defect. It's not an aib. It's not a defect or something you should be ashamed of. He said, this is not a defect. That when a person does not know the answer regarding 
matters of the religion, matters of the uh, Islamic legislation. That he should say, La Adri, I do not know. Even if he is an alim, even if he is a scholar, the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Man mas'ulu anha bi'a'lama min as-sa'im. The one who has been asked about it knows no better than the one who is asking. And he said, and he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he was asked certain questions, and he did not possess revelation from Allah, the mighty majestic, then he would wait until revelation descended from Allah, the mighty majestic. Do not recite, yes, alunaka an yes, alunaka an Shaykh is saying, don't you recite in the Quran a number of times? They ask you, with a with meaning, they ask you about such and such. They ask you about such and such. Qul, then the answer came down, after, would come down afterwards, then say such and such. Then Shaykh al-Fazan, he quotes two examples of that. First one, يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْخَمْرِ وَالْمَيْسِرْ قُلْ فِيهِمَا إِثْمٌ كَبِيرٌ Surah Al-Baqarah, the second surah, ayah 219, with the explanation, they ask you about intoxicants and about gambling. Say, in them is a great sin. Inshallah, of course, the second example, يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْأَهِلَّةِ قُلْ هِيَ مَوَاقِيتُ لِلنَّاسِ والحج. Surah Al-Baqarah again, second surah, ayah 189. With the explanation that they ask you about the crescent moons. Say, they are signs to mark time periods for the people and for the Hajj. Just a small side point here. Then you'll find Fifteen of such, such questions occurring in the Quran. Seven in Surah Al-Baqarah, then the rest throughout different surahs. Yes, Arunaka, and they ask you with the meaning they ask you about such and such. Then the response, such and such. The Shaykh said, "So the Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when he was asked a question and he did not have an answer, he would wait until revelation came down to him from Allah." So that should be even more the case with anyone else besides him. He should wait until he asks someone else or until he researches the matter in the books of the people of knowledge to attain the answer. But as for being hasty, then this is extremely dangerous. And it contains showing bad manners towards Allah, the mighty majestic. Since the one who gives an answer, he is answering about Allah's legislation. He is saying, Allah has made such and such permissible, or he has made such and such forbidden, or he has legislated such and such. So the matter is extremely dangerous. Al-Shaykh make an important point that we should need to bear in mind when we speak about the deen. As soon as we ask a question, we say, oh, that's haram, or that's halal, or whatever. We should be aware of what we're saying. Before we say it, 
we should be aware of what we're saying and therefore make sure we have an evidence for that so if you say about the deen and the deen it's like this permissible and the deen it's forbidden such and such then what you're actually saying is Allah has made this thing forbidden Allah has made this thing lawful or Allah has legislated this thing whatever word you use for it that's what you're actually saying about the deen so in other words you should be careful as the Sheikh said the matter is it's extremely dangerous then the fourth matter the Sheikh mentioned fourth important matter from this hadith he said the fourth matter the hadith contains a proof for the manners of the student so Jibreel he was the noblest one of the angels he sat in front of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he placed his knees against the knees of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he placed his hands upon his thighs and he asked with good manners this was in order to teach the people the manners which they should adopt towards the scholars as I said this is a part of what the hadith indicates and the hadith contains many benefits and it also contains these are just some of the major benefits in the hadith and he mentions the further one he said and it contains the fifth matter and it is an explanation of some of the signs of the hour he mentioned two signs that the slave girl will give birth to her mistress and some of the scholars say its meaning is that the slave girl will give birth to her mistress that disobedience uquq disobedience bad treatment towards the par- towards the parents will be frequent at the end of time so that the daughter becomes as if she is a mistress one in charge of her mother <coughs> commanding her and forbidding her and being stern with her <coughs>